A Dog's Life is supported by RelaxoPet. It's simply animal relaxing. Being left alone, travelling, fireworks, thunder, trips to the vet, or just a change in any environment can unsettle a pet. This tune sounds very relaxing, yet beneath this meditative melody are levels of frequencies that are only audible to your dog. When I tried out RelaxoPet with my excitable miniature bull terrier Prudence, I simply couldn't believe how quickly she settled and actually seemed more deeply relaxed. Her behaviour in general has actually dropped several gears <laughs> and she is more confident and calm in herself, so I use it every day. Developed in Germany, RelaxoPet emanates cleverly configured frequencies that tune into your dog's subconscious to retrain his thought processes into becoming calm. Tested in collaboration with vets, breeders, pet parents in a huge variety of stressful situations, it boasts a uniquely calibrated speaker system that just plugs in and plays. Along with the RelaxoPet sound system, you can develop a calmer dog with other RelaxoPet products like the super scent safe multi-purpose play ring and the soothing cool bandana. Why not check out their full product range and even order yours today from PetTradeInnovations.com. That's PetTradeInnovations.com. I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you might not be totally aware of this, but you're very lucky indeed to have a roof over your head and a secure home. Sadly, many dogs could be facing eviction at the moment through absolutely no fault of their own. But due to the fact that landlords are still flying in the face of government guidelines, which state that rentals should be pet friendly. We're jumping on Zoom now to speak to Andrew Rossendell MP, whose landmark bill discussed in Parliament last week is set to really change things for the better. Andrew, welcome to A Dog's Life. Hello, uh, great to be uh, with you today. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Not at all. It's great really to have you on because at the moment it seems that Parliament is really reflecting the surge in puppy love that um, we know has been going on through lockdown and highlighting that dogs really are man's best friend. <laughs> 100%, yes. Um, I've owned uh, three dogs in my life, actually. Uh, the last two have been... Staffordshire Bull Terriers and uh, funny thing is in politics um, yeah you do make friends but um, not everyone is as friendly as you might think in politics uh, but the dog is always there for you they're loyal they love you unconditionally and uh, I think having a dog particularly if you're in politics is actually a wonderful wonderful thing and I'm only sorry that now I don't have a dog. Well Andrew when are you going to fix that? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, as soon as possible. I, I need to um, I need to find uh, a way of having the dog looked after while I'm busy in Parliament. That's the problem. I think being an MP, you do have to, sadly, sacrifice a lot of things that most people can do without thinking because it's a, it's a seven-day-a-week job. So, yes, I think that I'd like to get another dog. Um, and if I did, it would be another Staffordshire Bull Terrier, which is definitely my favourite breed. 
Oh gosh, well I'm I'm on your page. Um, I own the uh, close cousin of Cetus Staffy, which is the miniature bull terrier. Have done for 19 years now, living on my own in London and um, navigating the path of accommodation actually with with my own dogs. Because interestingly, Andrew, back in 2003, Molly, my first miniature bull terrier, she faced eviction from um, a leasehold property that I owned that I knew did say no no dogs, no pets. But um, my circumstances had changed and I stopped renting it and I needed to move back in. Uh, long story short, I came to a compromise with um, the, the freeholders and we were allowed to stay together on the basis. I sold my flat and moved on, which I was quite happy to do because uh, I don't really support uh, non-dog friendly people or places. And, and this is really what we're talking about today. Situations like that, Andrew, which is cast on to people so unfairly, causing absolute heartbreak a hundred percent it's like losing a child isn't it it's like losing a member of your family um you know to you know just to imagine it's not happened to me thank goodness but if i had to move into rented accommodation i had a dog to lose that animal um simply to choose animal or a home what a horrendous choice to make um and i think that really in this country we should know better we really should uh, there needs to be a change in culture and landlords could decide instantly. You don't need a change in law. You just need landlords to start being reasonable because too many of them just adopt blanket rules against pets living in the accommodation. And that leads to a lot of heartache. And it's interesting because government isn't really doing enough. I know that the housing uh, minister, Robert Jendrick, has recommended in, it, in his you know, model tenancy agreement that pets should be welcome. But it's, it's only a guideline, right? Yes, it, it is only a guideline. Ultimately, uh, it's down to each landlord, each housing association, each council to adopt whatever policy they feel is appropriate. I'm proud to say that my own council which is the London Borough of Havering, have a pets welcome policy and animals are allowed to stay in council owned properties in Havering, provided they're well behaved and provided the owner is responsible, uh, animals are welcome. And I think that is the right policy. Um, so although what Robert Jenrick has, has done in uh, changing the uh, standard tenancy on this, and that's very welcome, I don't believe that it does go far enough because it does mean that uh, councils, housing associations and landlords can still say no dogs, no animals for no reason whatsoever. There's no logic to this uh, because the vast majority of animals are well behaved, won't cause damage and will not become a nuisance. So why, why persecute uh, animal owners and particularly dog owners uh, when actually in most cases it would achieve absolutely nothing? Yes, and we know, you know, through lockdown, how dogs have proved how they they keep our morale up. They give us a gateway to the outdoors. There are stress busters. They make us laugh every day. And for people who live on their own, you know, myself included, without my dogs, that you know, I have no family. hundred uh, percent. Yes, I think um, I think people that live alone and people that uh, don't have an extended family uh, having a dog really is their family it really is like having a child or a brother or a sister you you feel like you are really close to that animal and i think that dogs truly are man's best friend and i think that everyone is entitled provided they're responsible provided uh, they they treat the animal kindly everyone should have the right to own an animal 
and I think that they are the greatest the greatest gift we've got really aren't they I mean you can buy all kinds of material things yeah. you know all kinds of gadgets you can buy these days but yeah but, but nothing replaces a real animal that actually shows love and affection for you as a human being well, it is that cliche, really, the unconditional love, you know, and it's banded about so much that you kind of think, well, what does that really mean? But, you know, it is they, they don't complain that, you you know, or say your jeans are looking a bit tight today or, you know, have you woken up the, you know, the wrong side of bed today? Have you seen your hair? Um, they don't care. And, and I think, you know, perhaps that's best epitomized by the rough sleepers in our community at the moment who turn down social housing, you know, because they can't go with their dog and they, they'll stay on a cold pavement, won't they, Andrew? Yes. And that's a terrible, terribly cruel thing to happen. It's, awful enough to be homeless and to be living on the streets but then to be offered somewhere which would be I would think a great relief to most people but then to be told you can only move in if you get rid of your animal I think that's a very cruel thing to do I think it's a totally wrong policy to adopt uh, a lot of people uh, will refuse accommodation in fact you know some have even committed suicide because of it and I think it is outrageous that we still operate this policy particularly during these times, these very traumatic times we're all going through, companionship is really important. And to lose the animal that you love for no real purpose, I wouldn't mind if I could understand why this policy exists, but I, in most cases, there is no purpose to it. I think there needs to be a change, and I hope every landlord listening will think deeply about this and alter their policy. And it's timely to perhaps, you know, readdress our rules and, and get in line with other countries, not least, you know, further afield like Canada and Australia, who offer very friendly let's for pets. But nearer to home, you've got Germany and France that are really dog friendly as well. So it's like we're, we're a bit backward. <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, yes. I mean, really, Britain should be leading the way. Um, you know, we, we are the, we're supposed to be the, the greatest animal loving nation. Um, and I think that this is an area that has been neglected. If other countries like uh, Germany, France, Switzerland, etc., can adopt uh, animal-friendly policies in homes, then we should have done this long before them, really, because we are a nation of animal lovers. So I am disappointed that it's really not already happened. But I'm pleased as an MP to be leading the charge on this. Um, it's called Jasmine's Law. Uh, named after the Weimarana from Surrey, whose owner, Jordan, couldn't have the, the dog with him. Uh, but this case is one of, I think, thousands and thousands of cases across the country where owners and animals are separated because of these rules. It is time for change, and I'm going to lead that charge here in Parliament. And your your ten minute rule bill last Wednesday. Um, I mean, may I say that you rocked in in Parliament. I was so proud; it, it brought a tear to my eye. You know, because really, you're standing up for for all pets and their pet parents, Andrew. Indeed, yes. And um, uh, thank you for saying that. It's <laughs> it's it really gives me great encouragement. And it, it is um, you know, it's a, it's a broad bill that I put forward because it's not just about making sure that uh, people can keep their dogs and keep their animals in their homes, but also promoting the idea of microchipping. And I've worked alongside Debbie Matthews from Vets Get Scanning for uh, many years now in support of microchipping. And um, I think that uh, owning a dog brings responsibility and having a microchip 
in that animal is is a really really good idea because it means that if the if the animal is lost or stolen it can also be returned if scanned by someone a vet or someone in authority that can scan and check the actual ownership of the animal so this is really important and i'm going to carry on with it brilliant 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 um now with debbie matthews gosh i've known debbie oh, i think since she pretty much started vets get scanning and you know she's campaigned now for about 15 years and still <laughs> the question of vets get scanning is in question i know her colleague dr dan who is helping her with campaigning for pet theft reform issued um a new petition yesterday you know andrew everyone's issuing petitions at the moment and um, most of them are about dogs, I think, you know, in the last few months. But it is petition to have one central database, you know, for everybody's microchips. And of course, vets get scanning. Andrew, I know it's in your bill that every dog should have a microchip i mean to be honest that is already law you know since 2016 it is mandatory now isn't it andrew that dogs and cats are all chipped but where it kind of falls over i think is that vets don't have to scan it's considered best practice by the british veterinary association for vets to do that but they don't have to do it and you know they're rushed sometimes they've got emergencies coming in well you can understand that they're pushed sometimes but how will your bill make it be mandatory for a vet to scan a chip and properly scan you know all over the body so um, I was Shadow Minister for Animal Welfare um, uh, when David Cameron was leader of the opposition and I promoted the idea of uh, microchipping becoming compulsory. Um, at the time, uh, the, uh, the government came into power and didn't agree with that policy, so I wasn't given the job to push that forward. However, I had a 10-minute rule bill then to promote it and uh, after a year or two, the government changed their mind and they made it law. So I'm delighted that it is compulsory for all animals, animals to be microchipped. But the problem is enforcement, because um, it's quite possible that an animal will go through its life and no one will ever microchip it particularly, um, especially if the vet doesn't do it. So that's why it's so important that uh, vets do this as a, a matter of course, uh, to check that A, the dog is microchipped, so the owner's uh, obeying the law and microchipping their animal, uh, and B, uh, too many dogs are stolen, as you know, and Debbie, uh, Debbie will tell you all about this. Dogs being stolen, dogs being lost. There needs to be um, uh, a general policy of all vets doing this automatically. So within my bill, it, it does mandate vets to do this. But again, you know, any good vet wouldn't need a law. They would do it automatically. They wouldn't need uh, a law to be passed to encourage them to, to check the microchip of any animal brought in to its care. So I again urge all vets to do this as a matter of course. Well, yes, it's so important, particularly at the moment, because, you know, the demand for dogs <laughs> has gone through the roof. You know, no one can believe it. Animal charities are just literally dumbfounded. And we've run out of puppies, so people are thieving dogs and, the, and it's gone up massively. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, I think that we have to ensure that um, if people do take on a dog, and I know that during the lockdown period, um, people think, oh, let's get a dog, that they actually realise that having an, an animal, dog in particular, comes with a big responsibility. Um, the last thing we want is people taking on animals 
and then actually getting bored with them and dumping them, um, leaving them uh, to their own devices and not giving them the care that they need. So I think that is a, that is a slight worry, actually. Um, and also, I guess as well, with the current situation, that it's 55%, isn't it, of all private landlords, I think, um, are still not pet friendly. If somebody with all the good meanings um, bought a puppy through lockdown but didn't clear it with their landlord, do you think, Andrew, many dogs are facing eviction right now? Well, I'm, I'm sure there are. Um, I, I haven't had any cases brought to my desk, but... I, I do rather fear that this might become a problem because uh, at the moment people are working from home, a lot of people, they're isolated, um, they may want a dog, they may forget that in their tenancy there is a clause that says no pets and then the landlord comes along and says right get rid of that dog. So I think you know we're treading on a minefield here, a lot of animals could suffer as a result of this. So that's why I want this policy to change quickly. I don't want to wait a year or two years uh, for the government to act. I want landlords to, to review their policies immediately. And uh, the, the rule should be dogs are allowed, animals are allowed. Um, the only exception is where the animal is not, being, uh, not behaving uh, in an appropriate manner and causing problems to other neighbors. Of course, there has to be rules on that, uh, but I think that for a landlord to have a blanket policy at this stage will lead to a lot of heartache and, as you rightly point out, potentially a lot more abandoned animals. Yes, and obviously when you were the Shadow Minister for Animal Welfare, um, you know, this was still a big issue. Uh, rescues being overloaded, overwhelmed, um, not least then, I guess, um, because of breed-specific legislation, which as a staffy owner, you know, um, I'm sure that's something that's close to your heart. <laughs> yes, well, I've, I've um, been campaigning against breed-specific legislation um, for about... 30 years now since uh, the John Major government brought in the Dangerous Dogs Act, which I disagreed with. Um, I, I want, of course, I want the protection um, of people uh, from dangerous dogs, but I don't believe it's right that you should identify certain breeds. It's about the owner and how the dog is brought up, not about the breed. Any dog can potentially be dangerous and the amount of effort and time Jobsworths in the police and the, I have to say, the RSPCA and local authorities going after dogs that are not dangerous, whilst actual dangerous dogs are not being dealt with. I think the law has been crazy on this. And I've always opposed the Dangerous Dogs Act and believe very strongly there needs to be a radical reform of that law. Yes, I'll hear here on that, Andrew. I think in 2014, weren't... Um... Uh, local authorities given a bit more power with uh, those things called dog bows rather than an as bows so people could report any any breed of dog you know because as you say all dogs can bite do you think that made a difference at all yes no it was a welcome reform and I think it has made a difference um, but I still object fundamentally to the idea that um, one particular breed of dog uh, is the problem um, and it leads to all kinds of pointless, unnecessary chasing around after dogs, which are of no threat to anybody at all. And I think that although uh, the change that was brought in has uh, been of benefit, I do think 
that the, the principle of breed-specific legislation is completely wrong. Well, it's terribly judgmental and terribly discriminatory, of course, which in this day and age is uh, really not the thing to be, of course. And, and it leads back, of course, to landlords being discriminatory. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, going, going back on that, I, I was um, Shadow Minister for Animal Welfare at the time, and as a Staffordshire Bull Terrier owner myself, Buster, I had at the time, um, I remember, uh, believe it or not, this is when Boris was mayor, um, the, uh, the deputy mayor for London for policing suddenly decided after one or two dog attacks that Staffordshire Bull Terriers should all be banned in London. And uh, I phoned him and I said, what on earth are you proposing here? This is crazy. <laughs> Um, that just shows you um, the knee-jerk reactions that can be caused uh, because of um, the idea that it's the breed is the problem rather than the individual dog or the individual owner. So there does need to be more work done on, in this area, I feel. Well, yes, I couldn't agree more. You know, I mean, often I'm walking along, you know, and people will cross the road when they see me and Prudence coming along. Um, I mean, she's, she's very small. She's a miniature. But, and it is, people judge a book by cover, don't they, you know? Oh, it's completely wrong. I mean, it's, 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 it's as bad as far as I'm concerned as, as you looking at a human being and looking at, looking at their colour and saying, oh, I don't like you. Well, you know, that's that's completely unacceptable. And it's completely unacceptable to look at a dog and say, I don't like you because of your breed. I um, know. You know, any dog can be dangerous. Um, and it's all about the owner and how the dog is is brought up and looked after. It's, it's not about all breeds. Some breeds are bad and other breeds are good. That's the wrong attitude. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I really hope you bring another Staffy into your life soon, Andrew. You know, I think I'll come and borrow Prudence. Um, I'll come and I'll come and see Prudence. How about that? More than welcome to. She started to um, get a bit barky now in the background, you know, because uh, she's not very good at sitting still. So you might be able to hear her. She's saying, "Hello, Andrew. I so love your name." Well, this is it. This is it. Uh, yes, she's definitely not shy, Prudence. Uh, no, I'd love for you to meet her. Um, do you? You think Andrew um, you know every year there's the um, dog show at Parliament and everybody brings their dogs and you know there's um, it's organized by Dogs Trust and the Kennel Club might that be happening do you think next year well everything this year sadly has been cancelled so this is the annual dog of the year contest that's the one uh, I've entered it many times with both my dogs Spike and then Buster and um, in fact both of them neither of them won actually none of them ever got top prize but they both got special awards. I think Spike came third one year and Buster got a special campaigning award one year. So, um, yeah, it's a great event and it promotes responsible dog ownership. Kennel Club and Dogs Trust uh, do a great job in organising that every year. But sadly, it hasn't happened this year. But, yeah, I hope very much that next year we get back to it. It's a great event and um, is a wonderful way of promoting dog ownership. Absolutely. And, and hopefully as well, you know, your bill, the um, Domestic Animals Accommodation and Protection Bill, Andrew, which has got a lot of support right already. I mean, it's it has gone down well, I think. Oh, it has. And it's got support uh, across all the political parties. It was, my bill was co-sponsored, not just by Conservatives, but by Labour MPs. Uh, we had a Liberal, uh, a former leader of the Liberal Party, Tim Farron. Uh, signed up to it and uh, also an MP from the DUP so you know cross-party um, and wide support across Parliament for the principle that uh, a, every home 
should be able to have a pet and that Jasmine's Law, uh, named after Jasmine, uh, the Weimarama from Surrey, uh, who uh, really inspired this whole idea. Um, we hope that it will gather support. And being realistic, it is a 10-minute rule bill. 10-minute rule bills rarely become law. Uh, but the principle behind them often gets adopted by the government of the day, and laws or regulations can change as a result. So I hope that's what happens in this case. Well, gosh, I really do hope so, you know, and I hope also that leaseholders can be, you know, factored into all of this, Andrew, you know, as well, not just, you know, renters, but people who've bought a property um, and are obviously discriminated against as well. Well, 100%. I mean, it should apply not just to those renting, uh, but it should apply to all circumstances. I think every home, anyone that lives in a property, uh, the default position is that, yes, of course, you're entitled to bring your animal with you. Your dog can live with you as a member of your family. Uh, it's only where things go wrong, where action needs to be taken to deal with irresponsible dog owners. So, so whether you're leasing or renting or whatever it might be, um, you should have the right to uh, keep the animal that you love and want to be with. Yes, you really should. Hashtag um, <laughs> uh, a pet in every home. I think that's one of the hashtags you're using, Andrew. Indeed, yes. Uh, a pet in every home and Jasmine's Law. So I hope that everyone will use those hashtags uh, in the, the coming weeks and let's, let's really push that forward. Build some momentum, use social media positively. You know, all, all the big charities are behind you, are the RSPCA, Battersea Cats Protection, of course, because we mustn't forget cats, they're a big part of this. So, um, and of course, Dogs on the Streets, the, the wonderful um, oh, charity that supports all of the, the homeless, the rough sleepers and their dogs. Yes, no, it's been amazing how many uh, charities and organisations have come forward to, to support my bill. Uh, when we first launched this idea, I wasn't sure that it would get much traction, to be honest. I thought it might get some interest, but nothing like what actually has happened. It's been quite incredible uh, how many uh, organisations have come forward to offer their support. So I, I really welcome that, and I hope that this campaign will go on. I mean, I've, I've now presented my bill. Nothing is now going to happen until January, but I think we've got an opportunity to carry on the campaign for this, and I hope to work with the animal charities in order to keep pushing this idea and i know that jordan the owner of of jasmine uh, is very keen to keep this campaign going and building it ever stronger promoting it across the country and lobbying every mp to back the principle of jasmine's law because the more mps that row behind it the more chance we have of the government adopting it as policy Absolutely. So it's just really urging everyone to get involved and create like a tidal wave. 100%. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, politics is all about momentum, is all about uh, making sure that uh, as, as time goes on, more and more people understand the issue and support the issue. And I have no doubt that uh, the more MPs that row behind this, the more chance we've got of Boris taking note and actually including this in one of his own um, items of legislation or just you know in the short term issuing stronger guidelines to to tenants and landlords that you know they have to be more reasonable in their application of uh, whether animals can stay uh, in those uh, in that accommodation and how they approach that 
Well, yeah, well, he should do because obviously he owns Dylan and he is a dog lover. And I think the whole family is a dog lover. So I know um, his sister, Rachel, was once the editor of The Lady magazine and their offices were totally dog friendly. And in fact, her dog at the time had a column, Coco, her name was, had a column in The Lady. Yes, she wrote it all herself, Andrew. Yeah, marvellous. Well, I, I used to have a little little column in my local newsletter in my constituency. Um, and uh, when I had Spike, it was called Spike Says. Oh, great. <laughs> Spike would always say things, um, sometimes a bit controversial too, would you believe? Oh, um, never guess that. <laughs> uh, and Buster had Buster's blog, of course. So, you know, they both had their little columns. Yes, yeah, so it's a wonderful way to get views across, of course, you know, um, through the mouth of a dog. <laughs> well, of course, the dog can say controversial things that I might not be allowed to say. So exactly, yes. helpful to get your dog to speak on your behalf. It is indeed. Well, Andrew, I really hope we can reconvene, you know, perhaps in, in January after it's having its second hearing. Is that right? In January? Yes, it's a second reading in January. But I just warn you, 10 minute rule bills um, often run out of time because they only officially get the first 10 minutes to present first reading. It then goes to second reading and sometimes you do get time for second reading, but quite often it, it doesn't get time to actually complete its journey through the parliamentary procedures. Uh, that is the danger. So it may not become law, but the principle of Jasmine's law uh, can become law um, if uh, the government decides that there's enough support for this across the country and uh, they can then adopt it themselves. And that's what I'm really hoping to achieve. Well, let's hope so. And um, I really, you know, can't wait to get all the updates. And we'll be supporting you from this end without a doubt, Andrew. So oh, you're very kind. It's It's been, been great to talk to you. And uh, I'm, only, I'm only sorry that Prudence isn't in front of me to give her a great big, great big hug, because I know, I know they love affection. And uh, I think they are man's best friend. And I just think I think we have a duty to make their lives as happy as possible. Oh, thank you very much, Andrew, for sticking up for um, all pets. Thank you, and I'll carry on doing that, I can promise you. That's our show, Mr Binks. What did you think? Yes, a very topical episode indeed. Of course, for pet-friendly accommodation, but not only that, for breed-specific legislation too. Thank you all for listening and I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, please subscribe. A Dog's Life is streaming on all platforms. Thanks also to Andrew Rossendale. You can find out all about Jasmine's Law at Andrew Rossendale. Thanks also to Mike, my very patient producer, at Pod People UK. And of course, to our sponsors at Earth Animal 1979, at RelaxoPet and at Pet Trade Innovations. And for the latest on me, I'm at Anna Webb Dogs. What's that, Mr. Binks? Oh, yes, we are back next week. That's because A Dog's Life is now weekly. So go on, why don't you subscribe today? And then you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Thank you to Earth Animal No Hide Choose. Order yours now at earthanimal.com forward slash UK.